So I've got a, a passage that I wasn't planning on using, but uh, go ahead and turn there with me. It's Matthew 4. As we were singing Oceans today, it, the passage uh, is alluding to, to Peter being called out onto the water. And <clears throat> um, there, there are any number of things I love about Scripture. And uh, one of them has frailty, um, just how human these people are on these pages, right? And so the, the example of Peter in, in Matthew 14, it's, it's going to start in 28, just so you can find that. Um, Peter's, um, this is, this, this is kind of like his moment to shine, and he does so for at least a few steps until he doesn't, right? Here's how I think of uh, Peter in this moment. You remember the... the um, we all know Star Wars. And uh, Luke, before he's a Jedi, right, he has to go through like Jedi training. And, um, and, and so for me, the Gospels, like all four of them, are the disciples in Jedi training. And you see all of their weaknesses and you see like Jesus working with them, trying to build up, frankly, their faith, right? Uh, and then when you turn to the book of Acts, just like the next book, Suddenly, these are the Jedis. <laughs> they have been trained, and they are ready for battle. And the Peter of Acts is a far cry from who we see in Matthew 14 right here. Uh, and yet, I love, 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 love Matthew 14. Um, so just to read it for you, uh, Peter has seen, and, and all the disciples have seen Jesus out walking on the water. <clears throat> and Peter says to him, Peter is the one who initiates this. And he cries out and says, Lord, if it is you, command me, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on out, Peter. The water's fine, right? So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus, right? Now, I don't know about you, right? but if, if I were in the Bible having walked on water, the only other person who's doing that is Jesus. <laughs> so that's a win in my book. Uh, and I would take that one to the bank and I would show everybody I knew, hey, this is my time to shine. Don't read the rest of it, but like, this, is, this was my moment. And so we see in this moment a, a, Peter acting out in faith, in, in a true faith, right? You don't walk on water without some measure of faith until um, verse 30. When he saw the wind, what happens? He is afraid. Afraid. This idea that, that fear is at odds with his faith I think is, is critical in what we need to talk about this morning in terms of, of faith being a courageous kind of faith. Because it's often our fears that indeed get the best of us and begin to chip away at and undermine whatever faith we do have. And so he sees the wind and he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out, he takes hold of him, and he says, uh, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Right? 
And here Jesus, you, you could hear him as like chastising Peter, and maybe he is, I don't know. Um, but what he's really doing, like any good rabbi, any good teacher, uh, any good uh, coach, uh, any, you know, somebody who's trying to train somebody up, Jedi master, um, he's reaching down, he's saying, listen, I see more in you than you see in yourself right now. And you're doubting and, and you, you're lacking faith. I know there's more to you yet. And he, and he pulls him up and he encourages him. This morning, we need to talk about faith again. Um, and <clears throat> over the last couple of weeks, I've been likening it to like a diamond or a gem that has like multi-facets to it. And, and so as we turn that diamond this morning, the diamond of faith, uh, the facet I want to point our attention to uh, is a courageous kind of faith and how courage is often something um, that is born out of a, a, an unshakable kind of faith. As we do, uh, let's begin with some prayer. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this morning as we gather together to study your word and to hear a word from you. Uh, God, um, it is not enough to to know about courageous faith. It's not enough to read about it, to think about it. Um, God, we need it. We want it. We desire it. Uh, We ask, Lord, that today that you inspire within us a, a, a faith that is indeed unshakable, that is the foundation of everything we do, on which we stand, an unshakable foundation with which we can face a, a world of trouble. And when the winds do come and the storm pops up on the sea, that we don't begin to sink, but we stand firm. And that the faith that we stand on gives us a courage that we will need, Lord. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, to begin, um, let's, let's start with the New Testament passage, which was uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I, I, I really like this passage, too. I actually love all these um, this morning. But uh, in, in 2 Timothy uh, 1, 4 to 7, We've got Paul writing to his, his young mentee. Here again, we've got like Jedi master and uh, Jedi apprentice, right? Uh, working with each other. And we see a really beautiful moment where Paul is remembering something, some kind of encounter that he and Timothy had had together. <clears throat> and he says, as I remember your tears, right? I, I remember this moment where you and I were together and there was something deeply touching in this moment. And, and we don't know like, what kind of tears they even were. Uh, maybe they were tears of sadness. Maybe the loss of someone. Maybe the loss of his grandmother is going to be mentioned here. Or his mother. Uh, or maybe it's the loss of a father. Or, or, or maybe it's, it's not tears of sadness. Maybe it's, like, it is the joy that he's going to talk about. But there's some kind of like, emotional connection happening between Paul and Timothy in this moment, and he says, I remember your tears. I long to see you. I desire to, I just want to be with you again. I remember that connection we had, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, and here's kind of the key, key starting point, at least. 
right? He, he says, I remember the faith that you have. And, and he describes how he got it, right? A, a faith that first dwelt in, in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Beautiful moment here too, right? So Paul doesn't just know Timothy. He knows his family. He's like, I, I, I know you, and, and I knew your grandma, and she was an amazing woman, a woman of faith, and she passed that faith down to her daughter, Eunice, and, and Eunice passed it down to you, and I see it in you, right? I see this in you. And he goes on. And he said, For this reason, I remind you, this faith that's in you, I need you to flame this faith into the gift of God that it is, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, which is an interesting phrase and I won't go too deep into it, but if you've ever had somebody lay hands on you and, and pray over you, you know the power of that experience. I certainly remember this. I, I've told this story before, but in my own ordination, uh, I had a tremendously powerful experience where a gentleman named Don Schmeltikoff um, was, was in the room with me and any number of other people were too, and, and, and the service gets to the end, and, and then I kneel uh, at the front of the room, and, and then the, there's a procession, much like we do here with deacon ordinations, where uh, the first person, and, and Don Schmeltikoff, jumps up, and he, he runs behind me, and he, he gets me in like a headlock, and he doesn't just lay his hands like nicely on my shoulders or something. Like he literally is grabbing my whole head and his arms are touching the sides of my head and he has me in a vice grip and he begins to pray the most beautiful prayer over me. And it, it broke me open. And I felt a rushing of the spirit in me that I hadn't felt before. And I thought, wow, this is the power of prayer. And, and here I have to think something similar. I, I can imagine Peter, or sorry, Paul, praying over Timothy. And I can imagine him grabbing him by the head and, and praying a sweet prayer over him. And Timothy receiving a faith that he experiences the, the, the Holy Spirit in this moment. And now Paul, his spiritual father, is saying, fan that flame, right? Build that faith out. And then he says, and here's the key line, for God gave us, you and me, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Not a spirit of fear, but power, love, and self-control. All those three words are really important but for this morning, we're, we're focusing on the power side, the, the courage side, the, the lack of fear, the, the sense of, of safety. I'm going to guess we all know what fear is like. Uh, I loved, once again, Laura brings these wonderful like, images, you know, whether it's whales or... <laughs> we, we all know like, what fear feels like deep down inside. And we also know what safety feels like. And, and what I would want to say this morning 
is that a, a solid foundation of faith allows you to stand in times where there should and probably still is some fear in the room, but it allows you to stand there with a, a confidence and a courage to say that I'm going to be okay. I know there's a storm raging around me. Like Peter, I can see the winds blowing at me, and it doesn't feel great. But I'm standing on a faith that I know, that I know, that I know, that I'm in in the hands of the Father, and it's going to be okay. I think this is what Paul is pointing Timothy toward. He probably reminds him of his tears. My guess, if I can kind of read through uh, the lines a little bit, maybe there's some kind of persecution or, or maybe there's a storm of some kind in Timothy's life. Maybe that's why he's even writing him at all. And he's saying, stand firm. Don't let the fear get the best of you. There is a faith that was started in you and flame it into a true gift that gives you this solid foundation that you know, that you know, that you know it's going to be okay. That gets us to the other passage. From our Old Testament, we see this kind of faith in action. Daniel, if you'll turn there with me, chapter 3, we meet three remarkable men. Uh, most of us know this story from our childhoods. If you grew up in the church, then you probably, you know, like colored pictures with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, frankly, it's one of these passages that if you didn't learn about it in your childhood, you might trip over those three words because they're not normal. <laughs> but then again, like somehow most of us know them. <laughs> and so what we get here in uh, Daniel 3 is... These are, these are Jewish men living in Babylon, right? And they're trying to, trying to figure out, how, how do I live and keep my integrity in a world that is, is so different from the one that I grew up in? It, it's, it's a far cry from Jerusalem, from Israel, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to live a life uh, of honor and integrity and sometimes it means, um, it means like working with Babylon and doing what Babylon needs them to do. And clearly they do this enough to rise through the ranks and to get themselves to a place where in, in the verses prior to this, it says that Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, right? I mean, you, you don't just get there by being total curmudgeons. Uh, clearly, they're working with the system in some way until they can't anymore, right? And so skipping down, uh, chapter 3, starting in, in verse 8 here. Therefore, at the time, uh, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music should, should fall down and should worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. 
And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The three men are faced with a dilemma, right? They've somehow, beating all odds, found themselves in in a place of power. And they've worked themselves through the system somehow, again, until a situation arises where they are faced with a decision. And the decision is one in which they could have capitulated, right? They, they could have bowed down. They, they could have played the game. And, and even, uh, I imagine we could say, they just pretend, right? They just pretend to do it. Just do the thing and, and, and just keep your positions of power. Because if you do that, well, then... Uh, you'll still have power with which you can wield, and, and maybe you can influence the king in that way. But if you don't do that, you're just going to die, and, and then like we've lost everything that we had. So just go ahead and, and, and bow down. Like Maybe while you're doing it, pray to Yahweh, and, and it's going to be okay. This is obviously not what they do, right? And what they do instead is they say, no, I, I know that I know that I know that the faith that I have cannot allow me to do this. I, I am being asked to do something that breaks with something that is deep within me. And if I capitulate to do, to do this, and if I, if I let go of this one thing, and if I accommodate this situation well, then I've broken something within me and I've broken my relationship with God. And so what do they do? They don't bow down. And what happens? Well, the king gets furious. And in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar is in a furious rage. And he commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And they brought the men to the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you don't, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Quite menacing. Quite the threat. Um, It's a little hard to put ourselves in this situation because we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? We we do not face this sort of persecution. Uh, You'd have to talk to somebody in a a persecuted uh, nation where we're... Christian persecution actually happens to understand what this decision might actually be like. But I'm going to guess most of us are faced with some sort of capitulation uh, in other realms uh, on, on other occasions. And there are certainly lessons to be learned there. And so he asks them, what are you going to do? You've got two options before you. And your options are 
you can bow down and you can compromise your integrity and your beliefs and your faith. Or you can die in a fiery furnace. <laughs> Those are your options, right? Death or compromise. And they say, in what has to be one of the great lines of scripture, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer to the king. And they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if we get thrown in the fire, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They have this confidence. They have this courage that, you know what? If you throw us in this furnace, we're going to be fine. We, we, we will be okay. And in fact, God is going to deliver us. But like, we know it's a Bible story, and so we know, oh, that could happen. Like, God, God's going to like, actually get them out of that fiery furnace, which is why I like this story, because they, they add the next line, which is what a lot of us need to hear. And they say, but if not, right? Maybe God doesn't like pull them out of the fiery furnace. If God doesn't, well, what happens then? And the three men have come to grips with the fact that they might not get pulled out of this fiery furnace, that maybe death is exactly what's going to happen to them, and that the, the, the choice that sits before them is either compromise or die, and they're saying, yeah, we're willing to die. That, we, we know that's part of what it means. And so they say, if not, if God does not deliver us, be it known, king, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. <clears throat> Where in the world does a faith with that much courage come from? That kind of courageous faith, where they're willing to stand up to the king. And by the way, this is in some ways, hear me through here, the king of the kings. I mean, he's the king of, he's like the king of everything. He's like the king of the world at this point, okay? This is the, like Babylon is the superpower and this is the most important and most powerful man on the planet at this point. And these three men, they say, no. No, we're not going to do that. We're willing to die. Um, a parallel story, as I was kind of preparing for all of this, that I'm going to keep brief, but um, I think is a nice modern example. Um, is the story of Harriet Tubman. Do you know Harriet Tubman? She, uh, she's the conductor of the Underground Railroad uh, during the Civil War period. And she grows up a slave in Maryland, uh, grows up a slave in Maryland, uh, comes to her own freedom. And she, uh, she's a woman of faith, uh, but a woman of like, no education. Uh, and so if you were to like read some of her writing or the, the quotes that she writes, it's almost even hard to distinguish exactly uh, what she's saying. And so one of these quotes is like, it twasn't me, twas the Lord. Uh, I always told him, I trust to you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. 
And she had this unwavering faith that, that she knew that she knew that she knew that God was going to lead her and that it was going to be okay. Come what may, it's going to be okay. And then she also knew that she had two options in life, not dissimilar at all from what we find in Daniel chapter 3. And she puts it this way. She, she says that she had uh, the options before her were, were death and freedom. Death and freedom. There were no other options for her in life. She said, I'm not going to live any other kind of life. And I know that I know that I know that for me, the only life I'm willing to live is a life of freedom. And so if that leads me to my death, so be it. But she was an amazing woman, and it wasn't enough for her to just do this for herself. She, she found her own freedom, uh, but as she says, she, she heard the cries of her own people, and she, quote here, I have heard their groans and their sighs, and I've seen their tears, and I would give every drop of blood in my veins to free them. And so that's what she does. Because she knows that she knows that she knows, and in her heart of hearts, yes, the, the, the foundation, the, the firmest foundation is her faith, but, but the foundation that sits right above that is one that's deeply personal to her. And it's that she is intended to live this life and was intended to live the life she lived to not only free herself, but to free as many people as she possibly could. And so time, again, 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 I think 20 different times, she came back to the South trying to free as many people as possible over and putting her life at risk. There were, I mean, she was like one of the most wanted people and she eluded the authorities time and time again and she saves countless people, right? And she knows that she knows that she knows that there are two options in life, freedom and death. And it's not just her own freedom, it's the freedom of others. And so she's willing to go again and again to find and to search out the freedom of others. <clears throat> as I thought about like, what this means for us and, and how to live as, as people, not just of faith, but of courageous faith, I thought that courage flourishes on the bedrock of unwavering faith. Courage flourishes on the bedrock of unwavering faith. A courageous faith starts with knowing who you are and whose you are. The foundation, the starting point, the solid ground that you're standing on must be understood. Daniel's three friends didn't need to ask God's guidance about what to do. They just knew that they knew that they knew they couldn't do that thing. And so they're willing to die for it. In some ways, there was no decision to be made. The, the decision was made for them. And they might even look at you funny when you say, you were so courageous to do that. And they would say, there was nothing else that I could do. It was the only thing I could think to do. 
And if you looked at Harriet Tubman and, and you said to her, my word, how courageous you were to go back to the South time after time after time, she would probably look at you funny and say, courage? I, I was just doing the only thing I knew to do. I couldn't have done anything else because if I had, I, I would have given up my integrity. I, I would have given up my soul. Clint Hahn has asked that I keep Martin Luther in my sermon, and, and so I'm going to here despite the time. Luther uh, came to this kind of moment in his life as well. If, if you know his story, in the early 1500s, he begins to question the, the Roman Catholic Church. And, and so in 1517, he, he does the, the 95 Theses, and then a, a few, he, be, he starts writing all these treatises about, um, about well, why the Catholic Church was wrong, basically. And in 1521, just four years later, the Catholic Church hauls him before a tribunal, and they say, Listen, you've got two options before you. You can recant and say you were wrong. You shouldn't have said uh, all those things that you said, right? And if you just stand up there and say, listen, I'm taking all my works back. I, I, I didn't mean any of it. I'm sorry. You know, you can do that. Or you can die. And this was on the table. Like, I mean, they, they were going to kill. They tried to kill him. They were unsuccessful, but they tried. And what does Luther do? Luther says in some of his most famous words, here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. And someone might look at Luther and be like, how courageous of you. And he will probably look at them funny and say, there was nothing else I could do. I was in a position where I wasn't about to recant because I would give up my very soul to do so. Courageous faith <clears throat> flourishes on the bedrock of unwavering faith. If we can find out in your life, and, and this is again, this is, there's a bedrock that we all stand on of the Christian faith itself, that God has us, right? But there's probably also a faith that is personal to each and every single one of you that you must figure out in your own life. Luther, it was standing before that tribunal, and he knew what he had to do. And he knew that there was no other way forward. And he had to say, here I stand. I can't do anything else. So help me God. Every day is not that day, let's be honest. Right? You don't need to make that decision on a daily basis. But most days lead up to that kind of day eventually. And you're building yourself toward that moment in life where you do have to take a stand and where you have to say, this is simply who I am. And if I were to go in a different direction... I'm going to compromise something that I can't compromise. And that is the foundation of a courageous kind of faith. We are in trying times as a nation, as a church, 
We're in kind of crazy times where winds are indeed blowing, where, uh, where change happens at a rapid clip. Uh, the life that we live in 2024 looks vastly different than the life in 2010, then 2000, then 1990, 1980. I think it is incumbent upon every Christian, every single one, to come to grips with, who am I? Whose am I? What does it mean to live a life of faith? What is the firm foundation that I'm standing on that I just can't bend on? There are some things that we all will share in that way. But each of us walk a different road. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in the giant down the street where you'll have to take a stand in some way. Will you be ready for it? Do you have that kind of faith? Have you been building a courageous faith that is ready when that day comes? Let's pray together. Jesus, you teach us that your word is, is a firm foundation on which we can stand. Jesus, you, you give us this story at the end uh, of your Sermon on the Mount where, where you've told us that if we abide by your words and, and we stand on your words, that it's like standing on a rock. And when the storms come and, and the floods come and the winds come, that the rock it stays secure. But then there's the sand that's right next to that rock. And, and some of us are building a life on the sand. And then when the floods come and the rains and the wind, the sand begins to erode. And the houses that we're building begin to fall down. God, give us the firm foundation that is your word. Give us the firm foundation, Jesus, that is you. May we seek you with all of our hearts and our souls and our mind and our strength. Give us that security, knowing, Lord, that we know, that we know, that we know, that come what may, that here we stand, that we can do no other. So help me, God. Amen.